This is the primal scream of a dying regime. Pray for our enemies, because we're going medieval on these people. You're just not got a free shot on all these networks lying about the people. The people have had a belly full of it. I know you don't like hearing that. I know you try to do everything in the world to stop that, but you're not going to stop it. It's going to happen. And where do people like that go to share the big lie? MAGA Media. I wish, in my soul, I wish that any of these people had a conscience. Ask yourself, what is my task and what is my purpose? If that answer is to save my country, this country will be saved. War Room. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. ceremony and uh, it seemed to be very well received. Uh, we've got over 800 people registered to attend and we've got panel discussions and presenters starting probably any minute now. We've had, we've had threats and there are protesters, quite a few of them outside. We have no problem with them protesting. That's their right to do as long as they, you know, keep it out there and let us do what we need to do safely inside.
to me, it's always been about opposition to theocracy and authoritarianism. Satan, to me, is a very powerful symbol of um, rebellion and anti-authoritarianism. And, you know, that's kind of what it is to me. Obviously, everyone is here for their own reasons. But, yeah, for me, I, I just... I don't like being told what to do, and I don't like people telling other people what to do either. Uh, I've received death threats leading up to this. I'm sure there's been death threats sent to our headquarters. Uh, back in the summertime, there was an arson attack in our headquarters that did a substantial amount of damage and could have killed a number of people inside, including visitors. Uh, so it's not just idle threats. People actually, you know, do stuff. And we had uh, our director of programming for SatanCon a few years ago had a gunman show up at her house and threatened to kill her, and the police had to come and take him away. If I were the devil, if I were the prince of darkness, I'd want to engulf the whole world in darkness, and I'd have a third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population, but I wouldn't be happy until I had seized the ripest apple on the tree, the... So I'd set about, however necessary, to take over the United States. I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve. Do as you please. To the young, I would whisper that the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that what's bad is good and what's good is square. And then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors in how to make lurid literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves, until each in its turn was consumed. And I'd have mesmerizing media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects, but neglect to discipline emotions, just let those run wild. Until before you knew it, you'd have to have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing, I'd have judges promoting pornography. We're talking about 8-year-olds and 9-year-olds and 11-year-olds and 12-year-olds. He's got over 600 images, gobs of video footage of these children. But you say this does not signal a heinous or egregious child pornography offense. And then you went on to say the defendant was merely trying to satisfy his curiosity. That's somehow a reason to only give him three months. Help me understand this. Soon I could evict God from the courthouse, then from the schoolhouse, and then from the houses of Congress. I would lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have and give to those who want it until I had killed the incentive of the ambitious. I would caution against extremes. Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans represent an extremism that threatens the very foundations of our republic. I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging is more fun, that what you see on TV is the way to be. In other words, if I were the devil, I'd just keep right on doing what he's doing. Paul Harvey. Good day. It's been with so many different bidders, the FDIC in the middle, and of course Janet Yellen. Tell us about it. Yeah. 
It's historic. It was a competitive bidding process. This weekend was fast and furious. But yes, the news this morning is that J.P. Morgan is acquiring First Republic directly from the FDIC, which seized and immediately sold the faltering bank. This transaction, the result of a competitive bidding process, at least according to the FDIC and J.P. Morgan, includes a majority of First Republic's assets, including $173 billion in loans and $30 billion in securities. Specific terms for First Republic's underwater assets are not quite known yet. We should learn more about that over the course of the next few hours. But the FDIC and J.P. Morgan entered a loss share agreement where they'll basically share in the losses and potential recoveries from some of First Republic's single family, residential and commercial loans it purchased uh, of the former First Republic bank. And J.P. Morgan will assume about $92 billion in deposits. That includes the $30 billion in uninsured deposits that were infused into First Republic by itself and other large banks in March in an effort to prevent any contagion effects from the failures of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank. As part of this transaction, J.P. Morgan intends to repay the deposits from its large banking peers or eliminate them as part of the consolidation. First Republic will go down as the second largest bank failure in U.S. history that's bigger than Silicon Valley Bank. In a statement out earlier this morning, J.P. Morgan chairman and CEO Jamie Dimon said, quote, our government invited us and others to step up and we did. Our financial strength, capabilities and business model allowed us to develop a bid to execute the transaction in a way to minimize costs to the deposit insurance fund. That FDIC estimates that the cost of that deposit insurance fund will be about $13 billion as a result of this transaction. J.P. Morgan will not be assuming First Republic's corporate debt or preferred stock. Shares currently trading uh, just under $2 per share in pre-market, so not quite at zero, but they've gone down about 98% so far this year, guys. Okay, Leslie, there's so many questions this morning uh, that I think so many people have. Uh, the first of which is, you know, J.P. Morgan was obviously in the hunt. PNC was there this weekend. We saw Bank of America in there. Uh, there were questions about mm-hmm. whether the Federal Reserve uh, and the Treasury were going to have to waive some of the requirements around size in terms of how big J.P. Morgan and Bank of America in particular already are. I'm curious if we know if, yep. if, what kind of waivers were necessary to, to complete this transaction. And ultimately, what we really think the cost is going to be uh, to the FDIC. I know $13 billion is the figure that's being bandied about, but I'm assuming that if, if there are potentially larger losses, is, is it cut off at 13? Yeah. Or could, it, or could it be higher? Well, yeah, I think it could be higher. They've got that loss share agreement there in place, which um, you know would suggest that it could be higher depending on what the recoveries look like uh, for the various assets that they are um, embarking on that loss share agreement with. But no, it's a, it's a great question in terms of what uh, the various regulatory thresholds are. That was my uh, main question as well, because there was a lot of reporting over the weekend, um, largely from other outlets that suggested um, you know that PN. C would be the leader here just because they don't necessarily have to um, get around those regulatory constraints in terms of making a bigger bank bigger. So hopefully we will learn more in the various calls that uh, are happening later today. But there there isn't any um, detail in the, the releases that we have right. so far with regard to any changes for those thresholds. No, I've been trying to chase that down. The other one I was trying to chase down, maybe you've done better than I have, is just the idea of were there were there any waivers around uh, future lawsuits, legal liability, and the like, 
given the experience that Jamie Dimon in particular had in 2008 around Washington Mutual, around Bear Stearns, the list goes on, and the, number, the amount of liabilities and ongoing, um, ongoing lawsuits that then took place for four or five years, and um, I think he would say not yeah. only cost the, the bank billions of dollars, but a headline risk, if you will, and whether that is in the offing as well this time. Yeah, that's a great question because in the release, JP Morgan says kind of what they're anticipating in terms of restructuring costs, but they don't have a specific line item with regard to legal liability and, and any kind of expectation they have on that front. So I agree. That's something that hopefully we'll learn more potentially in the investor presentation that's due out at seven, but we also have a slew of calls um, in the eight o'clock hour as well that we should be able to get some more information on that front. Leslie, regulators had to be in a bit of a bind here. They may not have wanted J.P. Morgan to get mm -hmm. any bigger, but they also are in a position of wanting to make sure they're getting the best possible deal for the remaining assets of this bank. They don't want to look like they oh, were yeah. picking a smaller bank at higher terms, as I think we saw earlier, um, with some of the assets that got sold off from Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank. Uh, they want to be in a position of knowing that this is going to go okay. And First Republic had a garbage portfolio. It was worse than Silicon Valley banks, just in terms of the loans that they'd been providing. Mortgages for really expensive houses at very low loans for very long periods of time. I mean, that's that's something that you probably have to be pretty big to be able to take over and deal with and say, no problem, we're going to do okay with this. Not only that, but then they had to reach out in order to fill the, the gap that they had um, on their balance sheet. They had to reach out to the, uh, the Fed uh, and take out loans in order to kind of continue operations at, at 5%, um, which they were just operating yeah. essentially at a loss as a result of that. And so I think you're right, Becky, that you know if the portfolio looked a bit more attractive, they would have been able to do just a regular way. M&A deal may be a bit more distressed over the last few weeks, but clearly this was the outcome. Uh, that, that had to take place in order to get the deal done. And I think the FDIC did learn from the events of March and, and decided that this kind of seize and sale idea where they immediately right. seized it but lined up a buyer in the meantime was the best outcome to kind of ring fence the issues here. Inflation has consequences as the Fed raises interest rates to combat out-of-control government spending, long-term bonds have diminished in value, crippling banks. Depositors are holding their breath, and investors are bailing on bank stocks. Diversification has never looked more important to you. The recent surge in gold prices is directly tied to the extreme market volatility right now. This is why gold has historically been a great hedge against the stock market and against inflation. Now would be a great time to diversify into gold with Birch Gold Group. Birch Gold makes it easy to convert an IRA or 401k into an IRA in precious metals. Here's what you need to do. 
text Bannon, B-A-N-N-O-N, to 989898 to get a free info kit on gold. They'll help you convert your existing IRA or 401ks that are tied to a volatile market into an IRA in physical precious metals, either gold or silver. And here's the best part. It's tax sheltered. Let me repeat that. It's tax sheltered. Text Bannon to 989898 to claim your free info kit on gold today. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, thousands of happy customers, and countless five-star reviews, Birch Gold is who you can trust to protect your future. Text Bannon to 989898 today. Take action. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. May in the year of our Lord 2023. Welcome here in the war room. We've got a lot to get through. They have slight technical problem in the first segment. We're working through that. I want to bring up my, uh, we got a bunch of guests, uh, a ton of news, lots of clips. Uh, we started off with, what is it, SatanCon, and uh, then, of course, Max Evans' is great, um, uh, great, uh, it went viral last week, uh, talking about Paul Harvey's, about the devil. You see it's SatanCon right there, right in your grill. Going to tear the uh, the Holy Bible up right in front of you, right? And unbaptized people. Uh, then we had the uh, another taxpayer bailout. It's not J- it's not J.P. Morgan. They're getting they're going to get the upside. You're going to share in the downside. We'll get to that. We got Cortez later in the show to break the entire another Biden failed bank uh, in. Let's go to I got Josh Hammer. Uh, Josh, you wrote an incredible piece the other day. You wrote an incredible piece on um, on going to the heritage. Uh, was it the 50th anniversary and having Tucker Carlson talk? Set the stage that because at that time, no one knew, including Tucker, that he had been termed that the that the, the the demonic Murdochs. Talk about starting about the devil, right? The demonic Murdochs had uh, had uh, already decided to fire him on that Friday night. Walk, walk me through your article because this is about the fight for civilization. That's why I wanted to start with this kind of demonic satanic uh, presence in Boston this weekend. Yeah, Steve, thanks as always for having me. So look, I mean, I was at the Heritage 50th Anniversary Gala. They had Tucker Carlson give the keynote address, which, by the way, I feel just compelled to point out right off the top, that was a huge deal. I mean, if you recall, it was less than three years ago where the old Heritage Foundation president, K. Cole James, who was absolutely horrible, you know, after the George Floyd riot started, she accused America of being systemically racist. And Tucker Carlson devoted, I think, one or two nights on air back during the George Floyd riots to just utterly excoriating K. Cole James and the Heritage Foundation. So the fact that Heritage had Tucker here under their new president, Kevin Roberts, is a total 180. And that in and of itself was a big deal. So, you know, I went to this gala, you know, it was a massive, I think it was like 2,300 people attending, you know, lots of presentations, the, the fancy fireworks over the Potomac. But the highlight was definitely Tucker's keynote address. And he was sensational. I mean, I'm a huge Tucker Carlson fan, been on his show, longtime fan of his for many years now. And, you know, in his speech, he's a very funny guy, right? I mean, Tucker has his slapstick humor. He was making fun of his Episcopalian faith. I mean, it was a lot of kind of tongue-in-cheek kind of humor. But when he got to the actual substance of his remarks and as he kind of hit his hit his stride, it became very clear the message that he was trying to impart unto all of us in the audience. And that message was basically that we live in a fundamentally different era than when Tucker himself kind of came of age. You know, I actually didn't even realize Tucker's first job after he, after he graduated college was, was as a copy editor for an old former Heritage Journal. And he basically said that when, you know, back in the early to mid-90s when he was kind of coming of age in the movement in, in D.C. and all of that, it was kind of 
we we on the right were going against the left, but there was still kind of a common sense of we were all trying to ultimately do the same thing. We were trying to grow the economy. We were trying to pursue the common good. We were trying to fundamentally have a good country, a fortified, durable, resilient country with a healthy culture that would ultimately lead to the human flourishing of the citizenry. And back then, to kind of paraphrase Tucker, you know, know, the right will put out their arguments, the left will put out their arguments, and may the best think tank white paper win. But here's the point, and this is the point that Tucker kind of drove home. It's a point that I have made for many years now. It's really kind of a thing encapsulated by this phrase that my friend Dave Raboy created of, of so-called knowing what time it is. And what Tucker basically said is that 30 years past his heritage internship back in the early 90s, that's just not the situation, okay? We are not now two kind of amicably sparring partisans trying to do the same thing just through slightly different means. No. No, that's not what's going on here. We are dealing with, much of the time, a fundamentally and profoundly evil, and to use your word, demonic and and satanic force. That is fundamentally what is going on when we look at a lot of the current issues. Not all of them. I mean, not every single issue, obviously, that the liberals or the lefties take is fundamentally satanic, but a lot of them these days really, really are. I mean, how else can you possibly describe trying to indoctrinate kindergartners or first graders into transgenderism with a Queen. So, I mean, I mean, that is fundamentally demonic. That is absolutely demonic. And that really was what Tucker said. He basically said, we are not now in kind of a civil disagreement between sparring partisans. Rather, and this is kind of my take on it that, that I put in the column, we are fundamentally now in a battle of really kind of theology and anthropology, where we have fundamentally different views of mankind and man's relation to his fellow man, to the state, and ultimately, of course, to God himself. That that really is the current state of the land. And that was kind of the key takeaway of Tucker's speech, which, as you said, none of us knew, and Tucker himself apparently did not knew, would, I guess, be the last public appearance that he would give as a Fox News host. I want to get back to the Murdochs in a second, some things that went on, but I think it's in your column as I read it, you refer to Lincoln. Even during the Civil War, one of Lincoln's, one of the phrases there, we pray the same God. There was obviously a big separation between what people thought of on the issue of slavery and the issue of the enslavement of, of fellow human beings, but, uh, you know, and not that that's pretty fundamental, but there were other aspects of it too that we still had a common civilization, a common culture. A lot of that's gone today. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So with that quote, I think what I was doing was I was taking a quote from Ryan William is my friend who's the president of Claremont Institute. But he said that in an interview a couple of years ago, and Ryan was absolutely right to say it. I mean, if you think back to the 1850s, I mean, in the in the buildup to this horrific, horrific, bloody conflict that almost ended the American experiment less than a century in. Think of 1858 when Abraham Lincoln, Stephen Douglas were battling each other up and down through the state of Illinois for that U.S. Senate seat at that time. They had profound disagreements fundamentally over the the moral worth, the moral dignity of uh, of their black fellow Americans or or not fellow Americans, of course, as the pro-slavery crowd would argue. But fundamentally, um, even the people who took the morally abhorrent position of being pro-slavery or, as Stephen Douglas was, he professed indifference on the question, even that side of that debate – 
they still went to church, they still read the Bible, they still at least professed to believe in the same God and a, a similar kind of anthropology of mankind, to kind of use the phrase that I just used. That simply is not the case today. That simply is not the case. So our opposition on the other side, they're not going to church, they're not going to synagogue, they're not reading the Bible, they're not informed by fundamental capital T truth, they're not informed by God or godliness or virtue or substantive justice or really any of the kind of fundamental precepts that a Republican citizenry cannot long endure without. So we really are dealing with a force right now that I, I think is increasingly difficult to describe as motivated or undergirded by anything other than demonic evil forces. And again, that's not necessarily true if you disagree on a tax rate or whatever. Not every policy is capital G good versus capital E evil. But a, a lot of them these days are, especially when it gets to these true kind of culture war civilizational fights, the likes of which really kind of animate my commentary, which animated Tucker's nightly monologues on Fox News back when he was there. And I think that he was absolutely right to underscore that point. There's been a, a story out, and it's been confirmed in a couple of different uh, news sources that Murdoch had had a dinner, I guess, with Tucker a week or a couple of weeks before. And I think his at time fiance, say, was there. And she turns out she was evangelical Christian. Murdoch and the family got a little concerned, supposedly according to the reporting, that she was very spiritual, very, very lived Christianity. She made some comments about Tucker in the in the dinner, and I think Tucker was there where Tucker talked about some of the spiritual issues. And she said something that you know he was you know providential, or and and the Murdochs afterwards were very freaked out. And then when they made this decision, I think Friday. Uh, afternoon, early evening in Los Angeles, the, the heritage speech or the heritage part of Tucker's speech played into that. What do you have to say with that, with people that supposedly are on our side of the football, when they hear the Josh Hammers and they go, hey, we don't want any part of this. We want, you know, we want lower, we want deregulation. We want lower taxes. Uh, we want uh, American military involvement throughout the world. But, you know, we're, we're Tucker and Josh and Bannon and the rest of these guys uh, get on this civilizational uh, internal war. Uh, we're we're not part of that. What, what say you? Look, I, I mean, Steve, we're fundamentally fighting different fights. Um, I mean, you know, if the same can even be said of the forces of conservatism, Inc., that some of them, I mean, I mean, query whether they even are fighting a fight. I mean, there are some people who are in this for kind of the theatrics or in this for the antics who are in this to kind of maximize shareholder returns on investments. And there's nothing wrong, of course, with maximizing shareholder returns on investments or anything like that. But you know, on the other hand, there there are some of us, and if I can be a little self-assuming just for a second here, I count myself among this crowd, who at least think that we are in this to try to do some small iota of good. I mean, look, I mean, I mean, Steve, you had a you know a, a great career on Wall Street years ago. I went to one of the top law schools in the country. I was working at Kirkland Ellis, one of the most prestigious law firms in the world. I didn't kind of toss all that aside and get into this kind of commentary, writing, podcasting, public intellectual, for lack of a better term, this whole space, if I didn't actually sincerely believe what I was doing. And, you know, I mean, obviously, I think that there are some people for whom that simply is not the case. So th I think that's part of what is going on here is simply what is motivating you, uh, not just just you, Steve, but kind of just you more generally out there in the right of center kind of corporate or commentary space. That's part of what's going on here. 
part of it also, you know, I think is kind of just a personality difference. I mean, there are some people who have been just so kind of firmly ensconced in their various institutions, especially in some of these kind of calcified think tanks and kind of journals that go back 50, 67 years and haven't actually conserved a whole lot, despite their purported mission to conserve the American experiment. There are some people who have just gotten so, so used to kind of the steady paychecks and kind of putting out the same pablum week in and week out that when a Tucker Carlson comes on, I mean, Tucker, if, if, if you compare his commentaries, his nightly monologues, his segments, the, the guests, frankly, that that he brought in onto his show, just relative to a, to a, a the overwhelming majority of the other of the other programming on Fox, you know, he was fundamentally different. Um, you know, there were, it, it, to be clear, there are obviously some other good people at Fox. I'm personally a big fan of Laura Ingram. I love Laura's show as well. But if you can, if you can't just compare Tucker's nightly message to most of the other programming there when it comes to Russia and Ukraine, when it comes to how we should view corporate America, immigration and, and, and race and crime. I mean, it was just a very, very, very different message. Josh, how do people get to the Newsweek uh, op-ed section in your uh, social media? This article is amazing. Thank you. Yeah, so newsweek.com slash opinion, and um, also on Twitter and, and Getter as well, uh, Josh underscore Hammer. Josh, thank you very much. It's Tucker Carlson in the civilizational fight, as only Josh Hammer can write it and frame it. Short break. Back in the warm in just a second. Friends, it's hard to trust anything anymore. Our most important institutions are being systematically destroyed. Are you prepared for things to get worse? Because true freedom comes from self-reliance. And that means having emergency food on hand. Invest your food foundation with three-month emergency food kits from My Patriot Supply. That's a three-month emergency food kit from My Patriot Supply. These kits provide over 2,000 calories per day. For energy during tough times, get breakfasts, lunches, dinners, drinks, and snacks. The food's delicious. Your whole family will love it. Order yours today and receive receive a free gravity-powered Alexa Pure Pro water filtration system valued at $279 as a bonus. Let me repeat that. You order today. You get a free gravity-powered Alexa Pure Pro water filtration system valued at $279 as a bonus. With this offer, you're securing food and purified water for the next crisis. Your three-month kit and free Alexa Pure Pro are all shipped to your doorstep in discreet boxes with free shipping included. Don't let this emergency food offer from My Patriot Supply pass. Action today. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com. That's MyPatriotSupply.com. Get your order in and your free gravity-powered Alexa Pure Pro water filtration system valued at $279. Host, Stephen K. Bann. Okay, welcome back. It is May Day. It's the national day of uh, the bad atheist Marxist communists that are still uh, a central enemy, both internal, the fifth column here in this country, uh, and, the, um, and what we're fighting with the CCP and the rest throughout the world. Make sure you read Josh Hammer's piece. It's a very important piece. It, it sets it sets the framework of Tucker Carlson and the fight over Tucker Carlson in perspective. It's a very very powerful piece. Tucker Carlson, the struggle of uh, civilizational sanity. Incredible piece. Josh Hammer, just a great great writer. Let's push. I want uh, Captain Bannon and Grace Chung put up in all the different chat rooms. Carly Bonet and the great team over at Midnight Writer. If you could do it too, want everybody to read that. Uh, 
we've got a lot to go through, a lot of uh, geopolitics, a lot of uh, macro politics in this country, economics. But I want to talk about wins we're, uh, we are having and the focus we have to have. I, I When this interview I did with President Trump, he was gracious enough. In one interview, I guess a conversation we had on Friday, and over the weekend, I've, I've made the point, and then again on John Frederick Ray's show, the primary is over. It's done. We need to get focused. We need to get maniacally focused on the general election, and particularly how we're not going to let this one get stolen. It is it is all of our responsibilities that Donald J. Trump got 74 million votes in 2020, and he's not in the uh, he's not 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Have you seen all the damage, the incredible massive damage done? Uh, by this illegitimate regime that currently occupies 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. I want to bring in Julianne Murray. Julianne, the last time we had you on, you were running, uh, I guess, as AG, but you won a massive. Tell us about the case you won in Delaware as kind of a predicate to what your new gig is. Okay, and, and I'm back, so thank you for having me. Um, all right, when we were on last time, yes, I was running for attorney general, uh, and I had just won a vote-by-mail lawsuit in Delaware. Um, the General Assembly was supposed to amend the Delaware Constitution. They didn't do it. They did it statutorily uh, to allow or to permit vote-by-mail. Uh, I challenged it while I was a candidate. I was not the plaintiff. I had voters that were plaintiffs. Uh, and it, it, we won in the lower court and the Delaware Supreme Court about a month before the general election. What was huge about it was that the Supreme Court said that it had, if we were going to amend our absentee voting to include vote by mail, it had to be done by a constitutional amendment and that that, you know, um, the, the, the best thing about that constitutional amendment is that it takes two terms. So the general election of 2024, our constitution can't be amended before the general election of 2024. So there will be no vote by mail in Delaware in 2024. And then, uh, and since I'm still here, uh, you know, uh, since then I lost the AG race by uh, 12,225 votes in, you know, in Delaware and uh, turned my sights on becoming uh, the GOP chairman because I don't, you know, Republicans, the Republican Party in Delaware has been silent for too long and, you know, we're not going to be silent anymore. And I won that chair race over the weekend uh, on Saturday. Okay, uh, and I, I keep getting this. I'm, I'm just going to keep talking. Uh, and it was you know, it was an interesting race. It was basically uh, we had what I would consider to be an establishment uh, chair who had she's only been in for four years, but she is uh, she was uh, an attorney general in Delaware back in uh, the 1990s and into the early 2000s, and actually left office uh, as the attorney general to go on to become a judge uh, to give uh, the AG seat to Joe Biden's son. Beau Biden. Uh, so, you know, she has always been viewed in the Republican Party uh, as more establishment. And, you know, and Delaware actually has a huge America first contingent that has been really dissatisfied with uh, you know, how the Republican Party was acting, uh, not being overt enough, not punching back. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm very vocal. I've, I've got high energy. And, you know, I made that pitch to the delegates. And here we are. Let me ask you, uh, I want to get to the, the victory. By the way, we, we have a slight technical problem. Is, is, is what you want in Delaware isn't that applicable in other states like in Pennsylvania? Why is no one, why is only you 
that have really gone to the mat about this mail-in ballot fiasco and actually pointed out that this got to be constitutional. You just can't pass some law. Why is it only? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's not in other states. I looked, and it looks like there's a couple of parallels. But then other states just roll over, and all you took it, and took it goes much quicker. Okay, so number one, I'm reserving the right to come back on with you <laughs> when you know because I can sort of hear what's going with the technical stuff. But Pennsylvania actually did have a case, uh, and while our case was pending, the Pennsylvania decision came out, and basically they did all sorts of legal gymnastics to hold that it was constitutional to have vote by mail. They had a very similar constitution. Massachusetts had exactly the same thing while our case was pending, and Massachusetts also ruled that uh, that it was constitutional to have to have vote by mail. The difference in Delaware was that our history, uh, basically, every time there has been what I would call an amendment to the absentee categories, it has been done by constitutional amendment. It was a really pure legal issue here uh, that we were able to you know, really hone in on that said, basically, look, you've done it before. And then the other thing was that uh, in 2020, vote by mail was in place, as you know, nationally. And it was challenged here in Delaware in 2020. And the vote by mail was upheld in Delaware in 2020 under the emergency powers of the General Assembly not their broad power. So in 2022, they come forward, they don't have the, quote, COVID emergency anymore, and they basically say, well, we always had the right to do this. It's under our broad powers. And what we argued was, no, it's not. You have to, you know, this, you, you cannot, you basically, by doing this, are offending the Constitution. If you want to change the Constitution, you can do that, but it's going to take two-thirds of both houses over two two-year sessions. And, you know, we won. Let me ask you a dumb question. Could, could because I keep telling people we have to just focus on 2024, could these yeah. other states with other lawyers go and continue to pursue this and, 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 and get to the point that show that the mail-in ballots are unconstitutional? It's going to really vary by state. Uh, it's going to vary depending on what the state constitutions uh, say, what the, you know, I mean, because election law is, you know, is, you know, is largely state law. Do I think that there are other cases out there? Sure. Uh, but for instance, in Pennsylvania, when that decision came down, it was based on Pennsylvania law. It wasn't based on federal law. So sometimes when you go, you know, you go up the, the path, the legal path, you have to make a choice of whether it's going to be a state case or a federal case. They, you know, and they don't necessarily cross over. Um, I can tell you that, you know, now that I'm, you know, have a platform in terms of being a GOP chair, I'm going to be reaching out to other GOP chairs to find out where they are on vote by mail. Uh, because I do think that, I mean, I can tell you in 2020, I was actually a gubernatorial candidate in 2020 in Delaware in the general election. And I was down by 100,000 votes before the first machine vote was cast in 2020. We essentially tied on the machine vote in 2020, 5,000 vote difference. But the vote by mail made the difference. Uh, so vote by mail is absolutely, you know, a you know a, an election changer. And so as much as we can, you know, get that you know, um, eradicated or more secure, uh, you know, I, we, we just we have to do it. You know, and for me personally, I had to attack Delaware. I'm working in Delaware, and you know, we are going to make Delaware, um, you know, America first in the first state. 
we're going to stop Biden in his own state from uh, and going to uh, need some reorganization funds. I, and last time I was on with you, it was terrific. I went to uh, murrayfordelaware.com. So we've just set that up to show, you know, you can help out the, the Delaware GOP because we're going to be ground zero. Tell us about your victory. How, how did America first mega candidate win? And what a lot of people would think would be at best, a uh, Republican establishment is be a sleepy uh, Republican party there. How, how did America first and America candidate actually when it comes to your picture? It actually, um, strategically, uh, we started uh, meeting. I mean, people called me the day after the general election and asked me to run for the GOP chair. Uh, and I actually ran two years ago in 2021 and lost by 15 votes. Uh, it was a very last minute kind of campaign. So so we knew that I had uh, popularity with delegates and uh, we put a, te a team together, about 15 or 20 of us uh, started right after the first of the year. And you know, we, we were strategic about it. We knew where the delegates were. We got delegates, uh, you know, um, placed uh, for coming into the convention. I timed my announcement uh, to about five weeks before the general election. And uh, it was just, I mean, it, it was a complete team effort, but we, you know, we knew which counties we needed to win in uh, and, you know, how to get to that number. Uh, Julian, what what word would you have for? Because we've had some people have won chairmanships. A couple were trying to get on, like in Maine. That we've had these county chairs. Obviously, the precinct strategy is a, is yep. a huge part of uh, the war posse. What would be Absolutely. your your word of encouragement and reality check to to the to the MAGA base throughout the country about really starting to take over the GOP from the grassroots level? That you can accomplish anything if you're willing to fight for it. It's just how much of yourself you're willing to put into it. I stood before that delegation knowing that there were people there that were hating the fact that I was there. And I said, we're going to take it to them. I am, you know, I'm going to be fearless about this. We have to fight. We are not going to be silent anymore. We just, you know, so I think that you got to dig deep. That fight is in all of us. You know, and I, I jokingly, I didn't make the joke, but I said, I'm going to use a line from the untouchables. What are you prepared to do? I'm standing here. You know, I am, you know, I am a practicing attorney that is going to be working part time in my law office just so that I can be the GOP chair and get our candidates elected. And I think the other thing that is super important going into 2024, particularly like here in Delaware, is that grassroots involvement. I've run two statewide campaigns with unbelievable grassroots support. We need to be focused on those general assembly seats, our state legislature seats. Get the Republicans who don't normally vote to buy in on issues. Voting is an emotional response. If we stick to our issues and get people hooked, we are going to bring Republicans out. I've read precinct strategy. I totally subscribe to what he's talking about, and we are going to be doing that here in Delaware. Julianne, how do people uh, get to you? This is a very inspirational social media, website, all of it. How do people get to know you better uh, in your uh, crusade? Okay, I appreciate it. So my uh, Murray for Delaware, M-U-R-R-A-Y for Delaware.com is, uh, you know, is the, it was my old campaign site, but we've been using it as a landing page. Uh, we're updating right now the DelawareGOP.com uh, site. So it will have my bio and everything on it. Right now for Twitter, it's Murray for the number four DE.com. And then Facebook is um, uh, Julianne Murray, as I'm looking at my guy, 
for Delaware. Uh, so you, you can find me. If you get out, you, know, you go, to, go to your search engine of choice and put in Julianne Murray, you're going to find me. Julianne, I said you were special the first time you were on here, and now you've proven it beyond any shadow of a doubt. Great. Congratulations, the new GOP chair for the great state of Delaware. Ma'am, thank you very much. One last Honor thing real you quick. You, yes, called me sure. a hammer, you called me a hammer the last time you were on. Here I am. My husband's now calling me Chairman Hammer. Uh, so, you know, you're going to hear much. Yeah, you're going to hear much more from me. And, you know, we're you know, we're going to turn this around. I, you know, I am 53 years old and super motivated to make a difference. So we're going to get it done. No doubt. That's what we led with Josh Hammer before you were on because your name. Yep. OK, Julian, I know. fantastic. I we'll follow you closely. All right. Thank you so much, Steve. Really <laughs> thank you, ma'am. Julianne Murray, the new GOP chair in Delaware. She's, if she can do it, anybody can do it. If you go all in. Right now, many Americans are feel, feeling powerless. You know the feeling. The economy isn't stable, crime continues to plague our communities, and those in charge do not seem to care. There's something empowering about knowing that you have the skills to defend yourself, and that's why I endorse iTarget Pro. This revolutionary system allows you to dry fire practice with your actual far, firearm at any time in the safety and privacy of your own home. No more inconvenient trips to the range and you will save a ton of money on practice ammo. Just download iTarget's proprietary app, load the laser bullet into your firearm, and start your training experience. Improve muscle memory, increase reaction speed, sight alignment, trigger control, and much more. iTarget comes in all the major calibers, including 223, so you can stay sharp with almost any firearm. Save 10% plus, get free shipping with the offer code Bannon when you go to itargetpro.com right now. Don't rely on the government to make you feel safe. Empower yourself with itargetpro. That's the letter itargetpro.com. itargetpro.com and the offer code is Bannon. The new social media taking on big tech, protecting free speech, and canceling cancel culture. Join the marketplace of ideas the platform for independent thought has arrived. Superior technology. No more selling your personal data. No more censorship. No more cancel culture. Enough. Getter has arrived. It's time to say what you want the way you want. Download now. This new one looks pretty good. Really? Did you know Ron DeSantis backed deep cuts to Social Security and Medicare? Ron DeSantis? Yeah, he voted to cut Social Security or Medicare not once, not twice, but three times. DeSantis even tried to raise the retirement age to 70. I thought DeSantis was one of the good ones, but he's just another career politician. America needs Trump. Make America Great Again, Inc. is responsible for the content of this advertising. Okay, uh, welcome back. Uh, I hope uh, everybody had a chance to see the conversation I had with President Trump at Mar-a-Lago on a Friday. We'll be doing clips from that and commenting on it, making observations about it. By the way, go to, uh, was it 45book.com? 
Book.com, 45book.com, for his book, Letters to Trump. You don't, you don't want to miss that. It's absolutely extraordinary. It shows you the side of President Trump. Some of this, the side we tried to show in that interview or that conversation, that if uh, that was kind of the 15 and 16 President Trump before the media completely just went absolutely nuts in the judiciary system and all of it to try to tear down and destroy President Trump. Um, but, uh, and, you know, I've been a big fan of Governor DeSantis as a governor and uh, think with a little more experience at some future point in time, he may be actually a very good candidate for president, but that's not now. And let me be brutally frank, this, uh, this excursion he took overseas was embarrassing to him. He is going to destroy his political career if he continues to listen to these consultants that are going to make 25 or $30 million and the big donors that put in $100 million. Ken Griffin doesn't know what he's doing or talking about about politics in the American people. These fat cat donors don't understand it. And they sent you on what was a humiliating tour of the world, you know, South Korea, Japan, um, Israel, and then this humiliation in England where the prime minister would not meet with you. And you had, a, uh, you had this meeting with the top people in the financial community and the top corporations in London, what's called the City of London, that's the old part of London, that is their Wall Street. So when we say City of London, we don't mean London itself. That's the old part inside of London. That is the Wall Street of really Europe. It was humiliating. Uh, polit the Politico story was a humiliation to you. You're just not ready for the scale that you need to be ready for. It's just that's, it's just simple. President Trump gave us four years of peace and prosperity. We're in a, the beginning stages of a third world war, of a massive financial crisis. We just had another bailout of a bank, and they're not telling you the truth. I put it up on Getter. You, the taxpayer, are going to uh, basically underwrite half the losses, and the losses here are going to be substantial. Once again, it's another federal government bailout. Jamie Dimon said, well, phase one's over. These high-tech banks, remember, all the high-tech oligarchs didn't put in a penny. They're out scot-free. The three banks... Signatures, uh, Silicon Valley Bank of First Republic. And then let's throw in the crypto bank that went under. Make, make it four. They're, they're not out one, one penny. But you, the taxpayer, are. These are Biden banks that were destroyed by Biden bonds, by Biden inflation. Let's talk about the practicality, how we're going to win. Linda Rance is uh, from Missouri, has done all the work on the paper ballots. Linda, I'm, uh, thank you for coming on. And I can already tell him I have to hold you through the break. We're a little jammed here today with our technical issues. But Linda, let me let me be brutal. For two things. Number one, for our audience, Axios has done an interview with the uh, chairman and the CEO of Dominion. I've got it up on Getter, and you should just read it. You should hear, the, hear their perspective. This is not a particularly, um, it, it's not a tough interview. It's kind of a softball, but you ought to hear the Fox situation from their perspective. We always love to give both sides of the argument so you can decide, but you ought to hear what Dominion has to say. It's an exclusive interview on Axios. We now have it up on Getter. And I would ask Mo and Grace Chung to make sure everybody sees it. The Guardian over the weekend, and look, The Guardian is a left-wing, the premier left-wing newspaper in the world, but it's, very, uh, it's a very well-edited paper. And Linda, they said essentially that you because you're one of the drivers in back this, you're going to bankrupt Shasta County, California, unbeknownst to the rubes out there that have voted in um, uh, paper ballots and hand count. And the reason is, is that it's going to cost millions and millions of dollars that nobody understands except you 
and you understand it, but the Rubes don't, and they're about to bankrupt their entire county. Your response, ma'am? Well, I think everything that's being said right now where hand counting costs so much more money than using machines is just being pushed out to discourage counties from making the change or even looking at the change. So in Shasta County, uh, I did some numbers for them based on last their last two presidential elections and their June election. I don't know if you have slides that you can put up, but the numbers for the additional labor, which is what they're going after. So their clerk did an analysis and she said it's going to cost $1.6 million in additional labor. Now, I did it based on teams of four, what we've done in Missouri. It came out to be about $100,000 in additional labor for a presidential election. And even if I'm wrong, thank you. Yes, even if I'm wrong and it's double of that, um, and that's the election day number, if you could skip to number nine or go forward a couple slides, because that, that's at the polling places on election day. And they do in-person voting on election day. Their polling places rarely get, even in a presidential election, 500 ballots. And when we just hand counted Osage County, Missouri, our largest polling place had 500 ballots and they were done in five hours. So it's not, it's not more complex, it's not any different, but it's done to discourage. And they took these numbers and in the analysis, I went through the analysis done, thank you, that's the grand total. So you can see the 2016 line at the top the 2020, which was slightly more, but they're both in the far right column, around $100,000 for all the labor to count up the ballots. And then in last June, when they had one of their more local elections, it was only 65,000. But even if these are off and you had to double them, they're still nowhere near the 1.6 million okay. that the clerk is saying. Now right. she's adding in a lot of other costs. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah hang on, Let me. I wanna hold you through the break. Okay. We're a little jammed up here with our technical card, but, but I want to hold you through the break, and then I, I think maybe we'll bring you back at 6 one night when I've got more uh, gap in each segment to walk through each slide. But I want to hold you, particularly because the guardian and the, uh, I guess the county supervisor out there, the clerk, was uh, pretty adamant that Linda Rance is going to bankrupt the county. Okay, so we're going to take a short break. we got Cash Patel, Derek Carvey, Steve Cortez. We're jammed up, but it's all good here on a Monday, starting the month of May with a flourish in the world. Veterans, you know we have been all over this supply chain issue with China and medications and the uh, active pharmaceutical ingredients. China has a stranglehold on us where there's a way to break that. Jace Medical. I got an emergency medication kit from them. The FDA just declared a global shortage of medication and warned that critical antibiotics are in stream short supply across the United States. But you know that because you're a viewer or listener of the show. Now, here's the action you can take to correct. Do yourself and your family a favor and get your Jace case right now. It's a pack of five prescription antibiotics you'll have on hand for common emergencies. Just visit jacemedical.com. That's Jace, J-A-S-E, jacemedical.com. Take a few minutes and fill out the form. Your information will be reviewed by a board-certified physician, and your medication will be dispensed by a licensed pharmacy at a fraction of the regular cost. You'll be glad you have the Jace case. Go to Jace Medical. That's one word, J-A-S-E, medical.com, and enter code Bannon at checkout 
for a discount on your order. That's promo code Bannon at Jace, J-A-S-E, medical.com. You know what the problem is because you've watched the show. You can break, you can take action and break that problem by going to Jace Medical and get your Jace case today. Action, action, action. War Room Posse, you already know free speech is under constant attack by the swamp and their big tech allies. They resell your communications and personal data while lecturing and laughing at you. I've got the solution. Unplugged Systems, a secure communications company, has an app suite you can install on any Android phone, including its own uncancelable app store, VPN, antivirus, and highly encrypted messenger, better than Wicker, Signal, Telegram, or anything else. None of your message or VPN traffic is stored, analyzed, or sold. Claim your security for only $10 a month. Go to their website, unplugged.com. That's unplugged.com slash warroom to install the Unplugged Suite. It's secure. It's private. It's the way we stay connected and informed. Get it now. Take action, action, action. Use your agency. Folks, let me tell you about Salty. It's a company that makes a soft gel supplement rich in antioxidants to help people like you and me keep a healthy heart. While COVID gets all the headlines, it's important to realize that heart disease kills nearly 700,000 Americans every year. Yes, heart disease is the number one killer every year, year in and year out. Heart disease builds over time. Hypertension, high blood pressure, bad cholesterol, diabetes, all of it affects our heart. A healthy heart is key to being energetic as we get older. It is never too early to take care of your heart. You see, heart disease sneaks up on us. You can start in your 30s, and when this happens, you're at serious risk by the time you turn 60. If you want to take care of your heart and those you care about, please go to warroomhealth.com. That's warroomhealth.com. All one word, warroomhealth.com. Use the code warroom at checkout to save 67% of your first shipment. That's code warroom at checkout to save 67%. And do it again. Warroomhealth, all one word, warroomhealth.com. Go there today. You need, if you're going to be part of the posse, you need a strong heart. You need a lion's heart. How we're going to do that is with Salty. Go there, do it today, check it out.